Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a shout out to our number one and only fan. Yay, no trigger warnings for this book. Woohoo! <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing The Christmas Pact by Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward. Riley Kennedy and her colleague, Kennedy Riley, meet in person at the office holiday party after sparring over misdirected emails. While Riley was initially infuriated by Kennedy's nosy responses to emails meant for her, he manages to convince her that he'd make a great date to impress her mother when she goes home for Christmas. In return, she agrees to be his date for his brother's wedding. Their act manages to fool everyone, and, as they become closer, they both start to wonder if there is something more to their scheme than a simple agreement. There will be spoilers beyond this point. M, why don't you start us off? Okay, so the story starts in New York City with Riley Kennedy, who has realized that her email that she sent asking advice from Dear Ida was accidentally sent to Kennedy Riley, a coworker of hers. And so he forwards this message of advice. However, he puts his two cents in this message talking about how, how dare she be a 27-year-old woman who has not dated for 10 months? What's wrong with her? He gives her, <laughs> frankly, shit about her mother writing a Christmas letter. Like, that's terrible. Why does she do that? Very judgy. And she's narcissistic. Yes. <laughs> and then ends it with this, like, are you single or your sister Olivia? Like, he's just casting out a net trying to see who he can catch. Well, no, he says, he says, is Olivia single? Because one of the parts of the Christmas letter is about how Olivia is a a gymnast. Yeah, he's hitting on her sister. So it's, it's gross. Through, (laughs) through this, you bad, bad 27 year old single woman. (laughs) By the way, is your sister single? Your gymnast sister? Because she's flexible. I don't know. It's just, (laughs) I don't know what we're supposed to feel about him, honestly. All I can feel is a little confused at the whole Riley Kennedy, Kennedy Riley thing, which I think is impressive considering the fact that I read, as you do too, stories with dragons and time travel and all of these far out things. But this whole Riley Kennedy, Kennedy Riley thing is just drives my brain crazy. I can't, I can't let it go. (laughs) I was distracted from that by the whole workplace harassment lawsuit that she's got cooking up exactly or could have cooking up it shouldn't it shouldn't (laughs) be that way but yeah it's it's very distracting so after riley has her irritated moment with kennedy's response you know how dare he put in his two cents how dare he read this letter this was not addressed to him she reads the response from soraya morgan who is I'm thinking Dear Ida's assistant. It's not really clarified whether or not she's really Dear Ida or she's just the assistant. I don't know. Yeah, she says she's the assistant. Yeah, she says. But, you know, it might be a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We don't know. At any rate, her advice is basically, Riley, dear, you have no life. Like, yes, your mother's Christmas letter is annoying, (laughs) but you're boring. You're right, and to be concerned with the level of boringness in your life, please do something about that. That is essentially her advice. 
Well, Riley fires off a response to both of them, and she's really, really mean. (laughs) She is, but they're kind of mean to her. I feel like she's standing up for herself, which you kind of get an inkling through the story that she can't stand up for herself or she has an issue with it. And no, she just has an issue with standing up to her mother. Yeah. That's different. That's family. But she's asserting herself in her career (laughs) and with this quote-unquote advice columnist so I feel like she can assert herself when she feels like it's warranted well in one way I feel like okay I understand this snarky response to Kennedy because he really he stepped out of line Mm -hmm. but her response to the advice columnist I feel like isn't like kind of the point of an advice columnist is is to have like those little it's to seek advice you don't have to take it But it's meant to be amusing to an audience in addition to advice. True, but Soraya isn't responding to an audience. She's just responding to Riley. So I feel like maybe... I mean, most most advice columnists, they don't just sit there. I mean, usually if you're a columnist, you want content to post. That's true. But I would feel like if... Well, maybe she already disclosed like signed an agreement saying that she could post it but otherwise i think you'd have to sign something to be like yes you can post this maybe we're overthinking this (laughs) okay so you're right we are overthinking this this is a sweet little holiday story um but the thing is is that okay she goes she's drunk she goes online always a good idea she finds this advice columnist she submits her her plaintive oh my god my life sucks Give me advice. Email. Yeah. My, my siblings do amazing things like they're doctors and they repair people's injuries in foreign countries. And my sister is in the Philharmonic yeah. and the other one's a gymnast and she's doing well at regionals. My life sucks. Yeah. And she submits it through the columnist's website. Yes. So one would presume there was probably a checkbox saying <laughs> i consent to have this posted Maybe. i mean you hope there's a level of consent but with these stories sometimes consent <laughs> is a little gray area we like consent here at romance me podcast <laughs> We're consent. consent is good <laughs> pro consent <laughs> but yeah i mean that's the whole thing so i think i think she kind of w- went a little overboard on responding to to Soraya because I feel like advice columnists, they're not only giving advice, but they're also generating content for audiences. Fair enough. I agree with you. I think they're probably also have that in the back of their mind, the entertainment factor. Yeah, I would think so. Because that's the thing. If you're doing that for a job, you're not just, I mean, she's not writing to a therapist. She's writing to a columnist. This is true. The idea being that Nothing you send her will be private, really. Which is weird because she gives a lot of, you know, details about her family. Yes, she's very open. Which, of course, Kennedy remembers. He remembers everything. Yeah, that impressive memory of his. So anyway, <laughs> Riley goes to have lunch with her coworker Liliana, and they're talking about the Christmas party, which Liana brings up. It's going to be a combined Christmas party with other aspects of the company as well hey, maybe you'll be able to see Kennedy there. Let's look him up on Facebook. Oh my gosh, he's hot. Yes, with nearly translucent eyes or something, which, okay. I'm sorry, that sounds creepy. She means super (laughs) pale, like piercing icy blue or gray, I'm sure. But I think translucent eyes and I think, oh, so you can see all the blood vessels. (laughs) So when she says, 
said that, I'm like picturing like translucent eyes. Yeah, I think a better word choice than translucent should have been used. But yeah, that didn't make him sound attractive. Yeah, and I mean, I guess he's meant, he's just meant to be like traditionally attractive, like dark and chiseled and has stark eyes. That's fine. Yes, Liliana is very pro-Kennedy in that she's like, oh, oh, don't don't worry about that whole him reading your email thing. He's hot. Go for it. Just just forget about that violation of yeah. your privacy. It's fine. Well, she even implies that there's some sort of chemistry there already because of how upset Riley is over <laughs> his snarky comments. Because he's not just replied to this email, but there have been more misdirected emails. And sometimes she gets his and she just forwards them to him and doesn't read them. But every time he gets hers, he reads them adds his two cents, and then sends it on to her. Yes, Riley, you're just misunderstanding. This isn't violation, you feel. This is chemistry. When the bully pulls your hair, it means he likes you. Exactly. Go with it. Yeah, so fast forward to the holiday party. She drops off her morkapoo with uh, Liliana, who's going to be babysitting it, and then they go to the party together. And I have to tell you that I did not, like, I figured morkapoo was a dog. yeah. And so I Googled it and nothing came up in Google for me. How strange. Under Morkapoo. <laughs> Apparently there's a Yorkapoo, which is like a Yorkie poodle. And then there's like a Morkie, which is like a Maltese slash Yorkie. So I figure it's probably a Maltese Yorkie poodle. And maybe I'm overthinking this, but if you're going to put Morkapoo in um, your book, maybe it should be Googleable. I must admit, I kind of forgot that she had the dog in the beginning of the book because towards the end of the book, when the dog is mentioned, I was surprised that there was a dog. <laughs> it was troubling to me because I didn't know what a morkapoo was. I, I think we just need to, to continue on and get to the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need one of those drinks too. <laughs> so the drinks that we're referencing is called the White Christmas and it's vanilla vodka, white chocolate liqueur, creme de coco, and mint candy cane that lines the rim. And I must admit, it sounds delicious. It does. It sounds really good. Yes. Riley wants one of those, and we all kind of second that. We would like one as well. Riley's received hers, and they're still waiting on Liliana's. Like, she's looking around because she's paranoid. She's going to see Kennedy. And she's looking around, and then she hears this deep voice go, looking for someone, Riley? Could it be Mr. Riley? Uh and she spills her drink all over his chest. And she like doesn't even look at his face at this point. She's just like freaking out, I think. Like, oh no, I spilled a drink on someone. And she's, you know, upset about it. If I remember correctly, I think he's just amused. Like he's not even bothered that he just had drinks spilled on him. Yeah, he doesn't care. He takes it like as a flirtation. Like, oh, she can't keep her hands off me. <laughs> no, no, she's just clumsy, dude. You're overthinking that. <laughs> <laughs> she's like dabbing him with a napkin or something you know and he's just like oh well apparently you do like me she rebuffs him strongly and then she and liliana she drags her over to the other bar on the other side of the room and then the rest like for part of the rest of the party she keeps like looking at him and he'll like look at her and they'll like catch each other looking but she's just upset and flustered and then um, September by Earth, Wind and Fire begins to play and Riley like or Kennedy. I'm probably going to do that a lot. It's easy to do. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Kennedy drags Riley onto the dance floor and Riley's like, no, 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 no. But Kennedy no doesn't mean no. starts dancing in a very, very suggestive way with her because she won't dance back. And so she's just standing there like just kind of I, I picture her like arms crossed going, oh, God, no, no, no. And he's like gyrating his hips and thrusting and he's like grinding on her yeah it's a work thing and like other women who work there are like checking him out and everything and he just it gets more and more and more crazy like the way he's dancing and finally she snaps and like starts laughing because it's just ridiculous he's happy because that was the whole point he wanted to make her laugh and then he asked her if she'll have a truce with him yeah it's it's a weird weird moment it's like oh i'm going to make you feel physically uncomfortable until i get what i want which is your laughter which you're not even sure that that was his goal i think he just wanted her to loosen up and he was just trying to be like he was going more and more and more over the top to get her to just respond to him in some way that's not extremely negative I wish the descriptor in the story had been different, which is like, oh, he's acting over the top. He's acting silly. He's, you know, versus like he's grinding on her on the dance floor until she finally laughs. Yeah, it's it's very he's very overtly sexual. Like the email he sent to her that we got to read had sexual like innuendos in it. Um, He even comments on her appearance in that email. And then he makes a point to find her at the party, you know, act like she's flirting with him when she's obviously not. That's because fuck off means fuck me. And then drag her on the dance floor when she's when she's told him no. And then dance in a sexually suggestive manner at her, basically. (laughs) Yeah. She doesn't have to participate. He will just do this all himself. She is a secondary Uh. element. Yeah, and at this point, I don't even know, like, what is his motivation? Because he wants to get he's laid. Just, he, is it, like, is that his motivation? It seems to be I the mean, motivation from the start of the yeah. book. He's casting a wide net. All he wants to do is to have a sexual encounter or whatever. That seems to be his motivation. Because she doesn't become a person to him until later. That's true. Okay, so he he reaches out his hand and they shake on having a truce and she agrees to have a truce with him. But she tells him that her terms are that he doesn't read or reply snarkily to her emails that he gets by mistake anymore. And he just forwards them to her and pretends that she doesn't exist. <laughs> they start talking a little bit and he finds out she lives um, in Albany or she she grew up in Albany. And he goes, oh, I grew up in Rochester we're like neighbors she mentions how she's going home for christmas and he says he's not going home for christmas he rightly assumes the reason she's not super jazzed about it is because the whole thing with her mother she feels like she just doesn't live up to her mother's expectations which i don't think her mother has given her this idea it's just her mother writes these letters and she brags about everyone in her family and riley reads them and and compares herself to her siblings and she goes oh well I'm not as good as them. (laughs) I think it's a Riley problem. Yeah, I agree. But he says, oh, well, I could come home with you for Christmas and you could bring me to meet your mother as your boyfriend. And then that would give her something fun to put in her letters. Because I'm amazing. So I am I am Christmas letter worthy. 
Yeah, and she's like, well, what am I going to say about you? And he says, oh, I'll make up some fun stuff. Don't worry. <laughs> that just doesn't sound right. And so she she says she'll think about it, um, but she has an early flight the next day and everything. And then the next day, the next day, <laughs> she's at her early flight, like waiting in line. And he's there because stalker alert. Yes. <laughs> he... Got a flight that matched hers. Yeah, he's super invested in her. It's not clear that she is even remotely interested, let alone invested in him. But he's showing up. He, he's there. Yeah, he says to her, well, I thought I'd be here to help you change your mind or something like that. <laughs> and then she goes, okay, fine. And he says, like, she's, she's like, fine, yeah, it sounds like a great idea or whatever. And he says... Well, this isn't, you know, just a one-way thing. I expect it to be mutual. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, what, what are you expecting to get out of this? <laughs> and he, he then tells her he wants her to be his date for his brother's wedding, which is happening before New Year's. And he bribes her with a dress and expensive shoes to be his date. In addition to pretending to be her amazing boyfriend. I think that's all it takes. It might be also that he helped take her mind off of the plane flying and taking off because she is a nervous flyer. You know, it's very French kiss. Yeah. You know, the arguing. So, oh, look, we're up in the air. You're not bothered at all. He gets her upset while the plane is taking off. And then once the plane is flying, he's like, oh, look, we're in the air. <laughs> I win. Fooled you. Oh, and then the other thing is she says something like, well, it'll just be fake. I don't want to lie to my mom. I don't want to lie to my family. And he suggests, oh, well, they could join the Mile High Club and make it real. Yeah, he's very suggestive with her. Yeah, from the very beginning. And there's one point in the story where I forget what exactly turns him on, but they he felt the need to comment on his dick twitching. I'm like, must you? This is a Christmas book. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that part. <laughs> His Christmas package was awake. Things I didn't want to know about. Yay. <laughs> so they get to her mom's house and they're standing out in front of the house and they have a moment because every time he touches her, she kind of flinches or jumps or whatever. That should be telling. He points this out and says, it won't be very believable if you flinch every time I touch you. And so he gives her like this big hug in front of her mother's house you know, to help her get used to his touch, I guess. And he really, really wants to kiss her. He like leans down and it looks like she's receptive. He almost gets to kiss her, but then her mom comes outside. And the lying begins. It's utterly unnecessary. Yeah. And not all that lie It seems like a unnecessary attempt at a complication. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's supposed to be comedic because he tells... Um, her family that he he's an astronaut or was going to be not an astronaut but like entering the space program which they kind of get a little vague on that. yeah he's working on being an astronaut hmm? which is super duper impressive to her mother and everyone else yeah i feel like we know her age we know riley's age at 27 but we don't know his age but i guess it's a believable amount of age i figure he's probably about similar pursuing being an astronaut i'm not really sure yeah i don't really know i don't know what age you'd have to be or would be to be at that point 
at pursuing. Yeah, it's kind of unclear in the story. He does mention you have to have a degree, Mm -hmm. which he does. So one would say at least like mid-20s probably. I don't know. It's just, it's a discrepancy. But I think it's meant to be comedic because the whole time he's telling all this stuff, Riley's thinking to herself, oh, well, he's just digging himself a hole. Oh, he's digging himself a bigger hole. But every time he gets asked clarifying questions, he knows the answer. And he's just really, like, it sounds like it's real. It does. <laughs> and she she asks him about it. And he tells her that he actually was going to be an astronaut and ended up like not going forward with it not going forward with entering the space program because he was uh, dating someone who wasn't willing to move to Houston then he ended up breaking up with that person but he doesn't want to talk about it in detail if he was trying to be an astronaut makes you kind of wonder how much he really wanted it you know it's he I don't think he really wanted it because he says he he tried like he wanted to enter the space academy or the space program or whatever on a bet from his dad like his dad bet that he couldn't do it oh that's a weird bet but okay yeah i don't know and so he he's like well yes i can and he you know won the bet or whatever but then he was genuinely considering it at that point but decided not to because of his Hmm. his ex more on her later yeah we learn more about her later. They have Christmas Eve brunch, which I guess is a, a traditional thing for Riley's family. And then um, later that day, they have a Christmas Eve open house. And some of the people that are supposed to come by are her mom's uh, three best friends who are all retired uh, military. And they find it very interesting that Kennedy is going to be an astronaut. But Kennedy manages to fool even them. I wonder, because one of the ladies was questioning him a lot. If they just, I don't know if they're fooled or if they just don't question it as thoroughly. I don't know. But yeah, at that point, one of the ladies asked them how they met. And Kennedy tells the story because they kind of banter it back and forth like, oh, no, you tell it. Oh, no, you tell it. And she lets him tell it. And she comes off as like an infomercial level (laughs) stupid person so true and everybody buys it and she's sitting there feeling kind of insulted that nobody is questioning that she is this foolish to put a pizza still inside the box in the oven to heat it up and inadvertently starts a fire (laughs) like nobody's questioning that she's this foolish yes and he rescues her because he was visiting his grandmother who lives across the hall. Oh. Uh. Supposedly. He was supposed to start driving back to his family at the end of the day, but it starts snowing and the weather isn't looking great. And so Riley's mom suggests that he stay the night and drive up in the morning. And he can stay with Riley in her bedroom. Which makes Riley go, uh-oh. Yeah. They go along with it because we're supposed to be this couple. Yep. So they go up to her room. um, They talk a little bit about what happened. He kind of snoops around her room like, 
Oh, you were into Justin Timberlake, huh? He picks up this doll off her shelf. The sunburn doll. That has red blotches. Yeah, has red blotches on her face. And he's like, what's up with this? And she tells him the story about how she left the doll outside and she got a sunburn. But it's never really explained. I Maybe it's because she drew blotches on her face. I don't know. But she just goes, well, that's what happens when you're in the sun. Yes, poor life. little doll named Lovey. And then he, again, turns it sexual and he, like, asks, oh, where do you keep your vibrator or something like that? She tells him, oh, you'll never, you would never be able to find it. And the whole time I'm thinking, why does she have a vibrator at her childhood home in her childhood bedroom? Wouldn't that be something that she'd just, like, pack and bring with her when she goes to visit home? Apparently not. She needs, she needs one there, apparently. She she has an auxiliary <laughs> vibrator that she keeps at Maybe. home at her childhood home. I don't know. I don't keep one at my childhood home. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, you would think you'd just pack that. Like if you if you wanted one, you'd you'd just pack it and bring it with you. One would think. Yeah. Especially since her mother is Snoopy. And he's trying to figure out where this vibrator is, and so he, with his other hand, presumably Picks up the chewy cookie jar, which she starts getting a little freaked out, but he doesn't fully understand why. And he's like, oh, is your vibrator in this? And she's like, put that down very seriously. He teases her a little bit and she's like, no, no, my ex Frank's ashes are in that. And he's like, oh, no. And I think at some point he also like runs his fingers through his hair or something, which presumably he has the doll in one hand, the cookie jar in the other what other hand is he using <laughs> to run his fingers through his hair? But whatever. He puts the cookie jar back down because Frank's ashes. Yeah, we learned we learned previously that um, she had a high school sweetheart, Frank, and they stayed together all through college. And he was going to propose to her when he graduated from college, but he ended up dying in a in a car accident. So it's very sad. Yes. So since then, so for the last seven-ish years, she's been, you know, holding on to Frank still. Basically, yeah. Like, this was her love. You kind of wonder how much she's really holding on to Frank, because I don't know. Like, there's no real, there's some brief mentions of him before, because when they go into the house, he's wondering, like, who's this guy in the pictures with you? And she's like, that's my ex, Frank. The mention of frank dying that's when she sort of starts to become a human being yeah to kennedy like he's suddenly going like oh oh you've suffered tragedy in your life i should maybe not be quite so insensitive with you yeah which fyi most people have but i digress so yeah puts the the cookie jar back down he's still holding the doll and she says you're never going to be able to find it the vibrator because you're already holding it. And he looks at the doll and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she tells him to take the head off the doll and it turns out the vibrator is inside the doll. <laughs> yes. Ta-da! Yeah, and she throws it across, like she throws the vibrator across the room. Yeah, I forget why. I think that there's a reason that she does it, but it does seem like a weird series of events. And also at that point, like... He calls her a dirty girl, which the way he says it, the way Sebastian York, the the narrator, says it, just, oh my gosh, it made me feel so gross. You dirty girl. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's, it's the way he says it, it. And like, if his, 
if his goal was to sound creepy and gross, then I feel like, yay, goal achieved. I don't know if that was the goal. The funny thing is, I, I don't know, is that this whole time, like, there's ways to say that to sound sexy. It just wasn't, at least it wasn't sexy to me. He's acting like there's this level of intimacy there that isn't there. Yeah. You know, all the flirtatiousness and everything would be fine if they had an established relationship. They don't. Yeah. And also, it's not just an established relationship. Like, it's, it's also you get the impression that she's still like pushing him away. Right. So it's just. He's just being so pushy as she's going, no, 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 please don't. Please, this is my boundary. Please stay here. And he's just like, but I could be over here. And like forcing. Yeah. It just, it it doesn't make a reader feel good. Or at least it didn't make this reader feel good. He's kind of boundary stompy. Boundaries? What boundaries? We have the, we have practically the same name. It's Kismet. We're meant to be. (laughs) You are not Jack and Sally. Don't don't even say that. So they go to bed. Um, he agrees to sleep on the floor with her blanket and she'll stay on the bed with her comforter. And he's laying on the floor, just kind of feeling sorry for himself, I think, because he's on the floor. Well, and he feels like an ass because of the whole like, oh, wait, she's practically a widow. Thinking to himself and he tells Riley that he owes her an apology. And she says, what for? Because I think you owe me a, a lot of apologies. <laughs> correctly so (laughs) correctly so be more specific (laughs) and so he apologizes for um making assumptions about her family and her mother specifically and he says you know your mom's actually really nice and it wasn't cool of me to be so judgy about a situation i knew nothing about yeah but he says it like he he apologizes for you know the mom bashing in her, and I quote, little letter. <laughs> so it's still sort of condescending. It's, And this is after, by the way, he realizes that Riley, Riley's dad, her mom's husband, for unnecessary clarification, passed away from cancer seven years ago. Yeah. So presumably Riley lost the love of her life and her father in a relatively short amount of time. Yes, and her mother kind of goes overboard for the holidays especially christmas because she'd rather be happy than sad basically she's trying to force happiness to fill yeah she's trying to fill that that hole fake it till you make it so he apologizes to her his apology is a little he apologizes with words but it's very hollow in some ways riley liked it yeah riley's fine with it so i guess that means it's fine it's fine she accepts his apology Everything's fine. And then he's staring up at the ceiling, contemplating the whole situation, how he got to this point, and he hears the bed squeaking <laughs> in a rhythmic way, and he immediately goes to, oh, she must be masturbating. Because <laughs> there's no other possible explanation for this. <laughs> <laughs> she must be. I yes. mean, we had that whole talk about the vibrator earlier. She threw it across the room. Maybe on her way to the bathroom, she picked it up and took it back to bed with her. And then he listens and he doesn't hear any buzzing. And he wonders, hmm, well, maybe she's using her hand. And then she groans. Yep. And he thinks it's a sex groan. And he's just laying there thinking, hmm, what can I do to get in on this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which, I mean, if she were, that line of thinking might 
make more sense but and then she starts laughing he's like why are you laughing and she explains that her neck is killing her from the stress and she's been like rubbing the knot on her left shoulder and thinking to herself that if she had used like if she had the vibrator with her that would probably feel really good on her shoulder right now and then she was laughing because she pictured herself getting up out of bed, grabbing the vibrator and using it on her shoulder and what he might be thinking about it. I mean, she's right. <laughs> he starts laughing, but then he decides, you know, since we're being honest, I thought you were already <laughs> using the vibrator. <laughs> so this will segue into him offering to be better than her vibrator and get in the bed and give her a a neck rub. A topless neck rub with lotion. Yes. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah. He starts rubbing her neck. She says it feels really good. He says, oh, you should take off your shirt. And she's like, what? And he's all, it's fine. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, then it's fine. <laughs> and so she takes off her shirt. And he massages her with lotion until she falls asleep. And then he ends up sleeping in the bed next to her after she's already asleep. Yes, Riley. Trust everyone else's judgment, not your own. (laughs) When she wakes up in the morning, he's like snuggled up next to her and she feels a poke in her backside. And realizes, oh, wait, I'm shirtless still. (laughs) And she's like, what are you doing in bed with me? You were supposed to be on the floor. And he said, well, you fall asleep after... After I was massaging you and I figured, eh, it was probably fine for me to stay up here. (laughs) And she points out his boner and he plays it off like, oh, you know, it's just morning wood or whatever. And she's like, well, can you fix it? (laughs) And he points out her lack of bra. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, if you're wearing a bra under your shirt, it'd be easier for it to go down. Ugh. (sighs) So even though he played it off, like, I'm a guy, I get morning wood, it's no big deal. He then decides, no, actually, let's just be completely 100% honest. I got wood because I was sleeping next to you. (laughs) Yeah. Which, again, like, if they were in a relationship or sexually active at that point, you know. He's very overshare. If they had that level of intimacy, then it would be fine. Like it wouldn't be like it would be sweet or cute or whatever. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, oh, yeah, sleeping next to you. It just gets me so hot. I can't help it. You know, Okay, that's really cute. I like it. But they're not in a relationship. They're not together. They haven't had sex. They're not at that point. It just feels ill. It feels presumptuous to me. Yeah. Like, he's just assuming, like, yeah, of course you want to know all about my sexual side. Let me tell you all about it. Well, I guess he's probably thinking, like, if I if I push it at her enough, she'll just, she'll have to be okay with it. If I just keep doing this. Is Kennedy the type of guy who'd send a dick pic, do you think? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> without, without even hesitating. Like, unsolicited? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, she texted me, how is your day going? She must want to see my dick. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. He strikes me as that kind of guy. I think he is. (laughs) I don't know. And this whole, this whole part of the story, like up until this point, you get like one Kennedy. And then the second half of the book, you get like this completely other Kennedy. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a little bizarre. You start seeing traces of this particular Kennedy or B-side Kennedy. I don't know what we should call him. Better Kennedy. <laughs> well, that's why I say B-side. There's A-side. <laughs> which you can make that a whatever you want <laughs> and then there's b-side kennedy so we start seeing a little traces of that as he's getting ready to leave because riley makes the crack of great because you've laid it on so thick with my mother we're gonna have to go look at china patterns for for wedding stuff thanks a lot buddy and he's just like well if it's going to be china it should be wedgewood florentine and turquoise because that's what my grandmother had and i loved it and it would remind me yeah. of my grandmother and you're just sort of like wait what <laughs> where did this come from yeah because my ex didn't like it and she's like oh well we'll be having to pick out patterns and he's like okay this is yeah, the pattern exactly. i want I he's already marrying her in his mind like he's already got like the the wedding and everything already picked out yeah i would have really liked to be able to peek into kennedy's head a little bit earlier in the book because we don't get into his head until after i think they're at her house yeah i think you're right it's delayed i think if we'd gotten like some of his thoughts like as he's composing an email to her or something yeah because for all we know he knows what she looks like he's he might have stalked her earlier in the story. Before the story starts, we don't know, but we do know he has a proclivity for stalking. Yeah, he already said that he asked around to see what she looked like. He makes a point to introduce himself at the party. He then finds out what flight she's on and meets her at the airport and takes the flight with her and even trades seats so he can sit next to her. He's very persistent. Yeah, and in just a way where she just doesn't get to take a breath. Like if he had let her go on the flight back home and then she said, oh, by the way, you need to come up here, then it would have felt a little less pushy, I think. He didn't want to give her the chance to think it over. Because she might say no. We can't let her say no. We can't give her a minute to, to think. She walks him out to his car she gives him a hug. She feels she's starting to feel like more close to him, I think. Oh, she is. Um, Because of how he's been with her. Yeah, she's starting to feel closer to him. She worries a little bit because he makes the crack of doing a favor for her mom and saying, oh, I need to go do this because my future mother-in-law needs me. And she's kind of going, what? He's just put it. He, he's put on a very good show of being the perfect boyfriend and she's buying into it. Like this is what it would be like to date him. Yeah, I think. And she doesn't want to just have him drive off without showing him a little bit. So she gives him a hug. She starts to pull away and he says, oh, no, wait, your mother's watching. And so he kisses her because he doesn't presumably doesn't want her mother to get suspicious or whatever but when she goes back inside after he drives away and this kiss it's not like it's a little like peck on the cheek either it's a <laughs> steamy kiss you know exactly the kind of kiss you want your mother watching you do well yeah i mean it's <laughs> but she goes back inside and her mother and sisters and everyone were, were just like sitting at the table where she left them say and they all said oh no we thought we'd give you some privacy yes and she's all are you sure you weren't up at the window or walking through the room or whatever no we weren't so kennedy lied <laughs> but that's so out of character for him but i think she's thinking to herself oh i guess he wanted to kiss me yeah well, we already know that. I mean, she has to be aware that Kenny Kennedy is into her. I don't know. She kind of has low self-esteem. That's true. 
I think this is the point where she realizes that maybe he has a thing for her. You don't know how truthful he can be because there's the astronaut thing, which is a lie-ish. And then there's the thing which before he leaves, he also says that he is a gymnast, Mm -hmm. which you don't know if you can believe that or not. Yeah, I don't think we learn either way with that one. We don't. It leads me to question like, okay, is he just, where's the truth? And again, why did Mm -hmm. they need to lie in the beginning? I don't know. They didn't. I guess it was to make him sound really, really impressive because of the Christmas letter. Maybe that was the reason for the lying. He thought it would be fun. He was bored. Maybe he got the same advice from Morgan. You're boring. Spice it up a little. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. So later, they talk on the phone. He was supposed to meet her when she got into his town. Yes, because it's the day before the wedding. It's Friday. The wedding is Saturday. He tells her he can't meet her because he's really busy with other stuff, but that's fine. She can just go ahead to his mom's dress shop and buy her dress and everything. His mom's expecting her and it'll be fine. And she says, well, what do you want me to tell your mother about how we met and everything? She wants to get the story straight. And he says, just be yourself. Just be who you are. It's fine. You can tell her whatever you want. Just be you. Be real. So he doesn't expect her to lie for him about anything except being his his date or his girlfriend, essentially. So Riley meets Kennedy's mom, Susan, and they seem to hit it off. She offers to help her pick out dresses to wear. Riley says she would prefer the darker colors, so that's what they stick with. And anyway, she's trying on this plum dress, which I think it's the first one she tries on. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is the one. Meanwhile, Felicity, the bride, comes in and is there for her dress fitting. They sort of have a good chemistry, but you kind of get that Felicity may be withholding some information because she kind of says something to the effect of like, oh yeah, Kennedy's a great guy. But the way she says it kind of makes you wonder... We also find out that that Kennedy has told his mother about Riley already. Yes. Like we learned that he's talked about Riley before. His mom knows about the emails. <laughs> it kind of felt like she's getting groomed for something. We don't know like when he started telling his mother about Riley. Like is this something that he told her like a couple days ago when he first arrived and since he's been there? Or is this something like he told her months ago, like, mom, there's this girl at work and her name, funnily enough, is Riley Kennedy. And with mine being Kennedy Riley, I mean, isn't that a weird dink? I don't know if this was a horror story that that would just add a little level of creepy. Part of it to me, it feels like maybe he mentioned it to his mom, you know, and here I am just assuming, hoping he's a normal dude. <laughs> okay. And Keep he, open. Just, he mentioned it to his mom going oh yeah it's really interesting this this woman at work her name is the opposite of my name and sometimes I get her emails and it's just kind of funny and then later he tells his mom you know remember that that woman I told you about who has the reverse of my name we're dating now (laughs) she's having my firstborn (laughs) she's she's my girlfriend and I'm bringing her home to meet you guys yeah but who knows who knows so while they're in the shop Riley is attracted to this one particular wedding dress that she thinks is really, really pretty. And Susan points out like, oh, I actually designed that one for a wedding that never happened. Hint, hint, maybe. Maybe, but we don't learn. We don't. 
the origin of it. We really, don't. Beyond it's that. It's suggested, but we don't actually know. And so Felicity and Susan are like, try it on, try it on. And Riley does. And yeah, that's when we learn that Felicity is actually Kennedy's ex. And Felicity fell in love with Kennedy's brother, Bradley. Yeah. And Felicity thought Riley already knew this. Yes. Riley actually correctly says that no, she didn't. And Felicity does say she didn't, she doesn't want to necessarily tell her, but I don't know if that's true. So Felicity is the high school sweetheart of Kennedy that broke his heart. It seems to me, like, I got kind of a different impression from Felicity than it sounds like you did. When they met, it seemed to me like they got along really well. And she was like, oh yeah, try on the dress. And they were just having fun trying on dresses together. And she just assumed that Riley knew the history and it wasn't a big deal. And then found out Riley didn't know the history and it was a big deal and was like, oh, oopsie. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I Maybe I shouldn't have dropped that bomb on you. I was kind of questioning that as I was, I don't know, reading it, listening to the audiobook. The way um, Andy Arndt, who was reading this particular part of the story or performing this part of the story... The, the way she portrayed Felicity is through through the rest of the, the story as well is you kind of don't know if she's genuinely nice or maybe a little snarky. And I thought that was really good that it wasn't clear because maybe it's maybe it's true. Maybe she really would prefer Kennedy move on and find somebody else and all of that. But maybe part of her is just like, maybe don't move on. You don't know. Yeah, you would hope that she would want him to move on, considering how she and Bradley got together. Yes, you would hope that, but you don't know. It's It stays a little ambiguous. Yeah, that's interesting the way the audiobook, um, the narration in the audiobook can put a different spin on it, I think. Because I think maybe you get a bit of an interpretation from the narrator. I really like that. I think uh, it depends on the audiobook, but I think in a lot of cases that I'm finding out that a good narrator can just perform a story in such a way that makes it more captivating than I think it would have been for me had I read it on either paper or screen. But at any rate, right after Riley gets this information that Felicity is Kennedy's ex, Kennedy enters and sees the two of them in wedding gowns, (laughs) which you'd think since it seems like he's kind of grooming Riley, this would make him happy. But as you find out in the rehearsal dinner, Maybe he's not quite so happy. Yeah, he kind of flips out a little bit and turns back into asshole Kennedy. A-side Kennedy. (laughs) Oh, I see. Asshole Kennedy and better Kennedy. I got it now. Makes sense. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at the rehearsal dinner, he gets wasted. Oh, yeah. Basically, he just gets wasted. Uh, She tries to talk to him a little bit about Felicity because now she knows the truth, but he hasn't told her the truth. And so... So, yeah, she's trying to pry it out of him. And in the background, as they're trying to have this conversation, you hear the the clinking of the glasses, which in many wedding traditions means that the bride and groom-to-be should kiss. So meanwhile, as they're having this conversation, you're hearing cling, 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 cling. And presumably, of course, Felicity and Brad are kissing. Which, of course, is going to end up helping Kennedy's liver a whole lot. Yeah, Kennedy 
Kennedy goes to a dark place during this part. So dark side Kennedy. So we have A side, B side, and dark side. <laughs> he joins the dark side. <laughs> oh, A side Kennedy. He gets drunk. He's a jerk. He pulls away from from Riley and just kind of goes back to yeah he gets a little gross how he was and riley ends up having to kind of babysit him through being drunk yeah because riley at one point is like begging him to i don't know tone it down that kind of thing please come Mm -hmm. with me let's let's leave that kind of thing and then he says yeah say please when you're under me it just he turns any everything back to that sexual innuendo but in a gross like the the way York says it just makes it gross. <laughs> which, again, that may have been the goal, in yeah. which case, success. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So at one point during the rehearsal dinner, Brad, the brother, comes over because I guess Kennedy's now in a relationship. So everything's okay. Like, all is forgiven then. So Bradley comes over and wants to have a little bit of a talk with Kennedy, I guess. Kennedy makes some provocative comments about coming inside dot, dot, dot. And Riley very quickly is like, I've got to go to the bathroom. Come, come show me where the bathroom is. She kind of tries to rescue him from himself, I think, because, yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, she's like, please, let's leave so you don't embarrass yourself. Yeah, the the line you're you're talking about is Bradley says, oh, I'm so glad you decided to come, little bro. And Kennedy snickered and mumbled, you know where else I used to come? Inside your... Yep, classy moment there. Super classy. And then when she, when Riley tries to drag Kennedy away, Kennedy's like, oh, she probably just wants to suck a face. Yeah. But Bradley laughs. They have that bro moment, I guess. And he's like, go have fun. Yeah, so Riley does get Kennedy away a little bit and actually is pointing out, do you want to continue embarrassing yourself or would you like to leave before you take it too far? And he actually does have a moment of clarity where he's like, no, no, let's let's leave. And Riley goes and makes apologies to his mom and says, hey, I'm going to take him home. He's not doing so great. And his mom is like, yeah, this is probably really hard for him, but I'm glad he came. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about the mom because I understand. I mean, she has her two her two sons and they have this. I guess it was sort of a love triangle the the fiance of one son ended up marrying the other son i think as a mom that would be really difficult you know because you love both your kids presumably you know if you're a good if you're a good mom yeah i (laughs) you love both your kids and you want them both to to do well and obviously she gets along with felicity and has just been trying to not make things weird yeah maybe she's just trying to not make it more awkward than it is Maybe that's her goal. I don't know. If she was trying to make it less awkward, then maybe she should have not scheduled the appointment of Felicity and Riley together. But I mean, it's good that she did because then Riley knows the truth. And Riley at this point then starts to develop way more sympathy for Kennedy. And it's that sympathy that enables her to then sort of play protector of Kennedy and trying to, as you said, babysit him through this mother him if you will she gets the opportunity to to have some understanding as to why he might be acting like such a jerk which i think is important for the story because if she didn't know the truth and he acted like a jerk that would have a much more dampening effect on how she feels about him but because she has the sympathy for him 
it doesn't push her away the same way that it would have otherwise. Yeah, I agree with you that as at the beginning of the story, for Kennedy, this wedding is looming. So it can correctly, you know, play into how he behaves. So I feel like yeah, you're right in that they should have had some insights for Kennedy early on rather than him just kind of coming across as like this really horny lech. Yeah, like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Basically. So I feel like that would have that would have helped because otherwise he doesn't, contrary to what Kennedy may think about himself, he's not that much of a catch at that point. It's like, no, no, I, I feel like I need somebody to walk me to my car. That's not Kennedy because I'm afraid of Kennedy. <laughs> it's kind of going that route at the beginning of the story, which is not really Christmassy and definitely more Halloween. Riley is able to get Kennedy back to to his parents' house and he wakes up the next day kind of wondering how he got there because he can't quite remember because he drank a little too much. Yeah, before they get there and when they're in the Uber on the ride home, he thanks her. Like he has a moment of clarity where he thanks her for making him leave, basically, I think. <laughs> Thank you for having better judgment than I have right now. Yeah, she says, that's what friends are for. And he goes, oh, is that what we are? Yes, Kennedy, that's what we are. And she goes, yes. Now she's feeling at this point like more than friends with him, but she doesn't want to get into that while he's drunk. Fair enough. So the next day he wakes up. It's almost noon. He says, well, what time? Like, why didn't you get me up sooner? And she said, well, you needed your sleep. And he apologizes for being a drunk ass, basically. Yeah, it's not just that, like, he needed his sleep, but I guess she also didn't want to make awkward talk with the rest of her family or his family, I should say. And so she just basically, after quickly getting up early, early in the morning to shower, just hides out in the bedroom. Meanwhile, really having to use the bathroom, but not leaving because she doesn't want to interact with anybody, which is just sad. Yeah, she feels really socially awkward around everybody. I think partly because of the lie, but also partly because of how he acted. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's so much the lie. I think it, A, might be how he acted, but it's also because she knows the awkwardness about Felicity and Kennedy and Bradley. And she probably just doesn't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And maybe she doesn't know how she feels about his mother. And she just, rather than, rather than confronting the problem, she will hide and be uncomfortable. Which, to be fair, it's not really her problem, it's his, but still. So we pick back up with, um, like, at the reception. We pick back up at the reception. And Riley is dancing with um, Kennedy's mom. And Kennedy is watching her just thinking about how gorgeous she is she, riley keeps waving him over to dance with her he just keeps sitting, yeah, he's there. sitting there with felicity's uncle who is talking about how pretty she is and and kennedy's like yeah 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 <laughs> like he's agreeing but you realize at this point kennedy really doesn't care about felicity anymore so maybe maybe the whatever was upsetting him so much about her that's severed the great uncle asks him oh do you know them very well the bride <laughs> and the groom and he says actually no i don't know either of them very well and so it kind of gets i think you kind of get that impression that he's putting some more distance there like coming to terms with what had happened to him yes he decides he's going to get up and dance with Riley. He walks over to her and asks her to dance. Because it's a slow dance. It's a slow dance. 
she says, well, I've been trying to get you to dance with me all night. And now you want to dance when I'm tired? Of course. He goes, well, I was grumpy earlier, but now I'm happier. And so they dance and they have a nice talk. He ends up telling her the truth. He he finds like he finds like this secluded balcony off the room and he like takes her outside and tells her about um, his brother and Felicity and how he had kind of been pulling away from Felicity when they were together, kind of distancing himself from her. Because Felicity was all about, I want to get married. We're high school sweethearts. We need to be married. And so Kennedy, I guess, obviously not wanting to marry her, but not wanting to say he didn't, pulled away. Yeah, I think he felt, I think he just felt stuck. Like he's like, well, this is what we're supposed to do. He couldn't say no. He was not able to consent. And that was part of the reason he pursued the whole space, like the astronaut thing. And joined a golf club. Yeah. (laughs) And Felicity was really close with his family, as you can tell, because it seems like she's close with the mother. And he comes home one day and finds out that actually Felicity and his brother have gotten really close. And he catches them. He catches them in the act. And that is the point where he cuts off his allegiances to astronaut school. I don't know. And I I would assume gives up golf and goes to New York. Yes. He just picks up and leaves because he can't be there anymore, which I kind of get because if your fiance, who is super close with your whole family, ends up cheating on you with your brother, then where else are you supposed to go? Exactly. So he got out of Dodge. (laughs) Riley feels really protective of him, though. She gives a little like it's never okay to cheat type of thing. Yeah, she defends him, basically, saying, no, no, you didn't make her cheat. She chose to cheat. And so she kind of tries to to help him out in that regard, seeing this, maybe the situation from a different perspective. Yeah, because I think he's been kind of shouldering this blame. Well, it must have been my fault because I wasn't attentive enough. I wasn't present enough. I mean, maybe he wasn't attentive or present enough, but that doesn't mean that she had no other option but to cheat. Yes, that's exactly Riley's point. Yeah, Felicity could have broken up with him. Exactly. And said, hey, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. Exactly. She could have, she had the option to leave him. She didn't, but instead chose to sleep with his brother and now marry him. I don't know how to feel about Felicity because part of me, I feel kind of sorry for her. She doesn't seem evil to me. No, I don't think she seems evil. I think she made a mistake and she feels bad about it, but she also fell in love with his brother and decided to pursue happiness and didn't go about it the right way initially. Yes, I think that correctly sums that up. I don't know how I feel about his brother either. We don't get a whole lot of his brother. We really don't. Um, But Bradley, Bradley just seems like kind of relieved. Like, oh, thank God you moved on. Yeah, I think Bradley, he might not be the sharpest tool in the shed. He just, he's like, oh, clearly you've moved on. You brought a date to the wedding. Everything must be fine. I don't know how to feel about the whole situation. I don't know that that there is a good way to like rebuild those relationships. You know, how do you go from feeling completely betrayed by your brother, your your lover, but also like the rest of your family, like your parents, Because they're also trying to just go with it. No, I think you kind of do what what Kennedy did. You go to New York and only see them when you absolutely have to. 
and then you leave. <laughs> Cut ties. I mean, <laughs> how else are you supposed to to handle that? At least initially, let let some time happen. Yeah, I don't know. Rather than try to repair everything right at that moment, which is still a little on the fresh side, it seems. And the other side of that too is is the way she and the like Felicity and the brother got together because it's weird anyway to have your ex date your brother yeah I think totally even if you broke up on good terms years and years ago and then they got together yeah no it's it's totally strange it would be totally strange they make out on the balcony until workers come out for their smoke breaks and then they go back inside to the reception uh, right in time for the bouquet toss. Riley catches the bouquet. Which Felicity aims it at her. So you kind of, this is one of those moments where you're just like, yeah. is Felicity doing this because she, is this to make Felicity feel better or is this to make Riley feel better? You kind of wonder, like, is Felicity like, no, no, here you go. Yeah, I got the impression that Felicity was giving the relationship her stamp of approval like yes please go forth and be happy i hope I, I hope that you can move on and be happy that's where i think the arts performance kind of made me think actually it was more like felicity was throwing the bouquet a little more antagonistically but i i fully hope that it's more your idea of a stamp of approval versus i'm gonna shove these flowers at you <laughs> So yeah. anyway, then the garter toss starts and that's where Kennedy is like, no, no, no one will ever touch Riley but me. So I must man up and grr and get the garter. Yes. But then he catches the garter and then he goes to slide it up Riley's leg and it's obvious she's into it. Like she's having fun. She's feeling him. And he gets this moment in his brain where he just goes into panic mode. And he thinks to himself, this girl lost her boyfriend in an accident. He freaking died. She can't afford to be hurt again. It's why she hasn't had a relationship in so long. And you're incapable of relationships. This very wedding is proof of that. So what the hell are you doing, Kennedy? Because he still feels like it's his fault that his prior relationship failed. Yes, and he feels like he's only going to hurt Riley. So this is when he starts to distance himself. So that night, as opposed to the previous nights where he slept next to her, he actually sleeps on the floor. And Riley's like, but I wanted you in the bed, is what she thinks to herself. Mm-hmm. Because she's into him now. So now he's like, nope. No, I will only end up hurting you. I need to leave you alone. Bye. He just pulls away from her. They get ready to head back home, like back to New York City. He asks her what she's going to end up telling her mother. And she's like, I don't know, because of course it doesn't occur to him until that moment that, oh, all this lying or pseudo truthing, whatever you want to call it, could actually backfire on Riley because she will, I would think somewhat embarrassingly, have to confess all of this at some point. <laughs> yeah, I think initially there was the thought that, oh, it doesn't matter what he tells her because I'll just say we broke up or whatever. But now... It just feels messier. Yes. Because she doesn't want them. Like she wants to be with him now. Like she yes. likes him. So a couple days later, they're back in New York, back to work. 
And Liliana is encouraging Riley to pursue Kennedy because, you know, he's hot. So therefore, you should go for him. Riley is kind of old fashioned, I guess. She doesn't want to. Like, that's how she justifies it to herself. She's like, no, I don't want to be the pursuer. I want the guy to ask me out. But I think really it's just she's afraid of opening herself up to this guy. Yeah. Partly because he's been so hot and cold with her. Yeah, because now she is pretty sure that he doesn't, whatever feelings he may have had or whatever interest he may have had before, he doesn't have it now. So for her to pursue, it's like she'd be going, you know, she'd be pushing the rock up the hill. Yes, and this is the part of the story where I'm ripping my hair out going, can people just sit down and have an adult conversation once in a while? Nope. Please. Nope. Can we just sit down and discuss our feelings a little bit? What? Just a tiny bit. You know, hey, I was feeling you, but I thought you were feeling me and now you're not acting that way. What's going on? No feeling. No feelings. Only groping. Only the groping feelings. No other kind of feelings. (laughs) It's so frustrating to me. I understand a lot of romance stories there. There is typically a moment where the couple is divided for whatever reason. Yes. And a lot of times that reason is miscommunication of some kind. So I often feel a little bit miffed around this point in a story where why can't you just talk to each other? Just talk to each other. Just lay it out there. You know, take a chance. This particular one, it really feels like she's just so bottled up. She just can't bear to to be the tiniest bit vulnerable at all. Whereas he's been completely open and vulnerable with her the whole time at the wedding. Up until that point, he pushes her away. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it's a little more than just the Frank thing. And if there's more going on between her self-esteem and her mother's Christmas letter. Not the letter specifically, but maybe things that happened before. Because for her to be that bottled up. Yeah. I I don't think the letter alone explains it. And I don't think... Frank's death alone explains it. Yeah, and Riley, she, Riley is so closed off. And she, right before Kennedy starts pushing her away, she's thinking to herself, maybe I can open up with this guy. And then he pushes her away. And then she's like, nope, (laughs) just close that door tightly and triple lock it. Yep, raise the gangplank. Never think about it again. Nope. That is that is definitely how I presume she's feeling, which maybe it's because of these feelings. That's why she starts to reread Dear Ida's letter, the one that she sent to the quote unquote assistant, the one from the beginning mm-hmm. of the story where, you know, she basically gets told that she's boring and that her mother's annoying letters are you know, maybe a symptom of the issue, but not the issue itself. And so with fresh eyes, Riley is reinterpreting this information and kind of agreeing, it seems, like more so than before. Yeah. And with wine in hand, she sits down to respond to this letter to Ida, just saying, I I did what you said. Like, I went out and wasn't boring. And look, I got my heart stomped on. Do you have any advice for that? Right. She says, I'll tell you a little secret. I am a little old fashioned. I guess deep down, I still expect Prince Charming to ride up on his white horse and whisk me away like some dumb damsel in distress, which is probably why I'm a little afraid to go after the first man to make my heart go pitter patter in years. 
So I need you to tell me the truth here. Should I take a chance and ask him out? Or do I move on because he's really just not that into me after all? So it's, it's kind of like a cry for help. It is. I think she's at a low point. She's reaching out. She doesn't know what else to do. She wants permission to go after him. Yeah. I think that's what it is. From someone else. Not from her, her BFF Liliana, of course. No, she wants uh, outside eyes or or some someone like that to give her permission. Mm-hmm. And so Soraya does end up responding. But what she does first is that she sends that letter that Riley wrote to Kennedy. So meanwhile, while Riley's in her poor me, oh, I'm so terrible, no one loves me type of pity party, Kennedy is also <laughs> in that same place because they didn't have that conversation. That important, you know, hey, this is how I feel. Do you feel that way? Okay, cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, he does have the little knife getting turned in his back. Presumably she has this the same knife in the back, which is while they're at work, they keep hearing their lover's name. Yeah. So he keeps getting referred to as, hey, Riley, what do you think about? And then he goes, you know, oh, her. I miss her so much. Presumably she's in the same boat. Like, hey, Kennedy, what do you think about this book? And she's like, oh, no, you said his name. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't even call them lovers because they, I don't know. What would you call them? Almost lovers? I don't know. They're lovers. I mean, they, they haven't had sex yet, but they're they're in that mindset, I think. Okay. Lovers it is. I give you permission to use that word. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I consent. Yay, consent! <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> but he checks his email and he sees an email from the Dear Ida account. And he thinks to himself, oh, God, is she writing... Is she writing for advice again? This is terrible. And he just... She's in such a bad place. Oh, no. Yeah. And he has much more insight into who she is now, you know, and he has feelings now and everything. He initially thinks, okay, I'll just forward it to her like I promised to do (laughs) and not read it. (laughs) But he doesn't. He reads it. Because it's addressed to him. That's why. It's a letter to him. Yeah, he opens it up and he learns that it is to him. It's not to Riley. And it starts out, dear fool. First (laughs) off, let me preface this by saying that my ass would be on the line if Ida knew about this breach of confidentiality. But seeing as you're the entire reason for my having to write this email response in the first place, you already know what this is about and what you did or what you didn't do. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So Soraya the assistant to Ida basically threatens him and says, you better get off your butt and go do something about this relationship with Riley before I respond to her and tell her to move on. Yes. Because that's what I'm going to tell her to do. (laughs) I love this threat because it's like Soraya's going, if you don't, you know, get a white horse and go see her, then I'm going to tell her to, to go essentially go sleep with some guys and of course since riley has no ability to think for herself she'll just do it that's what kennedy thinks she's just gonna take the advice from ida and do it so it's like nobody has faith in riley to think for herself it seems yeah which is just great 
So in the letter to Kennedy, Soraya tells Kennedy, you need to grow some balls. Okay, fine. But she doesn't hold back from Riley either. And she calls Riley an insecure little wench, which feels a little nasty. <laughs> yeah, Soraya is... I, I think she needs a vacation. She's kind of prickly. I think she's she she's <laughs> done dealing with other people's issues and she needs some wine and a vacation. Maybe if the series were to continue, it would be that, you know, Soraya finds happiness and isn't quite so sassy. Although I don't mind her being sassy. Oh, and of course, Soraya included the email that Riley had sent her. Yes. So not only does she write this email to Kennedy and say, hey, you need to get off your butt and go do something about this. She also says, this is the letter I received from Riley about you. Privacy, schmivacy. And that's how he learns how she feels about him. (laughs) Yes, which will embolden Kennedy to actually go get the horse. But before he gets the horse, he has to stalk Riley. Yes, because he likes stalking. He's very much into the stalking. So Kennedy, I I don't know how, but he finds out where Riley lives and goes and and watches her apartment building for, it kind of sounds like days. It's a little creepy. At the very least, hours. Yeah, it seems like hours, but uh, something about the text actually made me think it was days, which that's a whole new level of creepy. And so he watches for an extended period (laughs) of time at any rate. And sees Riley exiting the apartment with some guy. So he thinks that Soraya has sent the advice off, which she hasn't, by the way. Riley has decided to move on on her own and accept the invitation for coffee, I think it is, or something like that. Um, the platonic date from Trevor. So she's attempting to to do this on her own. Yeah, and he's he's about ready to give up. But then he gets an email from his mother that has a video of him watching Riley dance. And the mother points out that the look on his face is a look of love. Okay. And he watches the video. He realizes he is in love with her. He does. So it seems like this is the time where the moms reach out because Riley, after she goes back into the apartment, she has a conversation with her mom in which she tells the truth about the whole Kennedy relationship. And confesses that, hey, your Christmas letters hurt my feelings. They make me feel like I'm unimpressive. Mm -hmm. And her mom's like, no, no, that was never my intention. Actually, I was trying to focus on really, really positive things because I'm still depressed after your dad died. Yeah, which we all kind of assumed. Yes. Except Riley. Except Riley. Riley has this this complex where she just feels like she's not going to measure up to anybody I think yeah that's what I mean like before before the Frank thing and before the Christmas letter it seems like Riley had issues that needed to be addressed but at any rate as she's I think so (laughs) as she's on the phone with her mom she starts hearing this sort of like tapping on the window and she thinks it's kind of like stones so Riley goes over to the window to see what's going on and she sees Kennedy And a white horse. He's on the white horse. He has come to save her. (laughs) I think part of her is like, well, that's kind of interesting because I did just tell somebody about that. But she doesn't think too much on it because, you know, the guy's on the horse. And her dog has started to bark. She goes down to have a conversation with Kennedy. Yes. Meanwhile, Kennedy is struggling to control this horse. 
Because the dog is still, I guess, the dog's barking can still be heard. Uh, He says to Riley, am I too late? And she says, what do you mean? And he says, well, did she email you back? And Riley's like, how do you know I emailed dear Ida again? (laughs) Stalker. And then he says, I saw you with that guy and I just assumed. And she confirms, no, it was just a platonic date. And then she asks him, were you stalking me? And he says, no, I was having coffee across the street. For hours. Which, I'm sorry, he was stalking her and having coffee across the street. He was committed to his watching. (laughs) But then the horse loses control. Because bark, bark, bark. And startles and throws Kennedy off its back. And poops. Yes. (laughs) And then it gallops away. And Kennedy is still hanging on to the horse and he says, wait for me. I'll be right back. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he gets thrown. (laughs) Does he get thrown? But at any rate, yeah, he's he's attached to the horse and the horse rides off. Goodbye, knight in shining armor. Yeah, he gets nearly thrown off. So, yeah, he's (laughs) gone to to deal with this horse issue. And so Riley is like, Mom, I'm going to have to call you back. (laughs) And meanwhile, her mom is like, you know, go after that man kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And so Kennedy comes back and he's all out of breath and <laughs> disoriented from his <laughs> from the horse debacle. And she says, well, that was a very sweet gesture, but why? And he says that, well, you told Soraya that deep down you wanted Prince Charming to ride up on a white horse. And at least I got the horse part right. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know I have strong feelings for you and love you because you're passionately against cheating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, he admits to to getting freaked out um, the night of the reception because he knew that she was the one for him, that he could trust her because she's so passionate about not cheating on people. But he just kind of got freaked out by like the depth of his feelings or whatever. Yes. And he says that they're meant to be. They make up and it's wonderful. He lifts her up and carries her up the stairs. Happily ever epilogue. And then we get this epilogue about a year later. He gets a letter in the mail and says, oh, it's from your mother. And she goes, oh, great. Is that the dreaded letter? Well, she's not boring anymore. She has a man. She shouldn't be afraid of the letter. (laughs) He gives her the letter. She opens it up. And it has a newspaper clipping, which just confirms that Dear Ida publishes these things. (laughs) You have been validated. But anyway, (laughs) Ask Ida publishes these things. Confirmed. There is proof. Uh, But it's a letter from the mom to Ask Ida saying, hey, I've messed up in the past with writing these letters and it made my daughter feel bad. And, but I have a really big dilemma. I wonder if it would upset Riley if I shared one last thing. And then <laughs> there's a response from, from Soraya. And she says, um, if you ask me, these letters saved her. If she hadn't written to me about them, she would never have gotten out of her funk. I encouraged her to go out and live a little, but most of all, if she hadn't sent me that email, she might never have sparred over email with that Kennedy dude. Their heated interactions were the foreplay that ultimately brought them together. So one might say you started it all, Mrs. Braggart. You should be proud. If it weren't for that annoying Christmas letter, Kennedy wouldn't be getting down on his knee right this second. Yes, so Kennedy gets down on his knee with Levy, the sunburned sex toy doll, and proposes. 
<laughs> yeah, he twists the head off the doll, reaches inside the body, and takes out the, quote, most beautiful round diamond ring. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, how romantic. So he asks her to marry him. She says, yes, it's wonderful. And then they have a brief conversation about who's going to take whose last name. Yes, the whole Kennedy, Kennedy, or Riley, Riley thing. I'm just... Or Riley, Kennedy, Riley. Yeah, just leave leave the names alone. <laughs> just leave them as they are. I don't think there's any suitable solution. And the last sentence... The last sentence is from Kennedy, who says, I don't care if you go by Riley Kennedy, Riley Riley, or Riley Kennedy Riley, as long as I can call you mine forever. Aww. The end. (laughs) (laughs) So, Erica, are you happy for their happy? It was a cute story. Yeah, I'm happy for their happy. I think that they could have done a little bit better with the communication, but I don't know. This is one of those like frothy novella type stories and I don't really expect a whole lot from them. I just want them to be happy and get together and it was cute. So what about you? I want to say yes because I agree with you that it is one of those stories where you just want it to be lighthearted and have the characters get together in the end, which they do. But I must admit I had zero emotional connections to the characters and the story so I can't actually be happy for them because I disconnected but I mean I'm I'm glad they got together because it's more appropriate for the story if they hadn't it would have felt weird because it's not a drama what would have made you feel more connected to the characters do you think I think the big thing that disconnected me was the name thing Mm. it really I I don't know what it is I you just got stuck on it I have read tons of stories with outrageous elements in the story and I have bought it wholeheartedly and gone along with it but for some reason the Riley Kennedy Kennedy Riley thing initially just I couldn't it was a thing that broke my connection so severely (laughs) early on that I couldn't get over it and I felt really bad because I think Andy Arndt's performance was really good I think she did a very good job of portraying the earnest optimistic socially awkward Riley and I think I think York did a very good job with Kennedy especially when which I was surprised because he was very good at the the lecherous creepy thing but he also did a really good job (laughs) when Kennedy was supposed to be earnest and sincere you know and emotionally invested in Riley I just I didn't feel any of it I am a robot that's disappointing (laughs) I wanted to I mean I wanted to feel something I just I couldn't I don't know what it was I just I couldn't I'm just like, okay, what's going to happen next in the story? Can we go there? I'm terrible. <laughs> How would you rate them from awesome to awful? I feel like the the rating system actually should be awesome to awkward to awful because I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be a triple A system. I think there has to be a middle ground between awesome and awful because I have found it very difficult to put any characters really in either one. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's just me. So I would put the quote unquote hero, Kennedy, I would put him in awkward. Like it's that it is that whole A side B side thing. It was just like there needed to be some sort of balance and maybe having, you know, some time in his headspace early on would have would have helped with that. And it wouldn't have felt so weird to go from, oh, I want to totally get into your pants to I respect you as a person. Like (laughs) there needed to be some (laughs) something to help with that transition what about you 
So for Kennedy, he starts out awful. Yeah. He's just lecherous and gross and presumptuous and just... And pushy. Ugh. Boundary stomping. What boundaries? After they go to Riley's mom's house, you get this transition from him. And he really turns into a different person. And (laughs) you get the B-side, as you say, of Kennedy. And he's really cool. Mm -hmm. He seems really fun. He's interesting. She's feeling it at that point. So all his attentiveness isn't gross anymore. It's nice because it's wanted he's basically the perfect boyfriend so he's both i think (laughs) awesome and awful (laughs) he's the he's he's the (laughs) two-face of the romance world just call him how do you rate riley i'd put riley at sort of in the in-between space between awkward and awesome and then she by the end of the book was transitioning into awesome yeah i agree with you she's blooming like a flower (laughs) Let's see, so it's Christmas time, so it'd be what, a point seven. Oh, I don't like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Pretend I didn't say that. Okay, I will. <laughs> For Riley, I feel like she's I feel like she's on her way to awesome. I think that she's so up in her head she's so worried about this invisible standard she set for herself you know based on her perceptions of how you know her mother sees her and other people see her she starts to take back a little bit of her agency and work on developing her identity after the death of her her uh, boyfriend frank and i think that she's at that point where she can be awesome she seems nice she seems fun i think she'd be a good friend she sticks up for herself you know what i mean like she which is good i actually really like that in a character particularly a female character that they don't just forgive my way of putting it but lie down and take it (laughs) you know like when she felt she was wronged even if she went too far (laughs) yeah she she asserted herself like no no i'm gonna tell this person that they're wrong I think her insecurities are kind of realistic too. Like I think that a lot of people have those types of insecurities where they just feel like they're not quite good enough. Yeah, she had relatable. And they're not quite sure why. Yeah. They just feel kind of stuck in this life they have. Like they're just a, a passenger in their own life. Yeah. She makes that transition in the story from being, you know, a side character in her own story to being her own main character. I agree with you. And I think that was handled very well. It felt like a realistic transition. Yeah, I think so too. Do you think there were any um, villains or antagonists in this story? It, it felt a li- like there were little bits of ones, like slightly villainous or slightly antagonist. It depends on your interpretation. Felicity, I guess, could be on that list. Riley's mom potentially could be on that list. But so could the letter. Because the letter is what, what Riley feels like she has to combat or live up to or whatever you would call that. So it could be the letter. I mean, there really wasn't too much necessarily in the on the antagonist front i don't think what do you think i wrote in my notes that they are their own worst enemies oh i agree yeah (laughs) 
And it it's realistic in that way. I think for a lot of people, you're your own worst enemy and you need those relationships with others around you where they can remind you how awesome you are. Yeah, because sometimes everyone has difficulty believing that they have those positive qualities. How would you rate the book from one to five stars? I put that I rated the book a 2.5, mainly because it couldn't get over that reread threshold. And so reread for me would be at a three. Uh And it just, yeah, this is definitely a one and done for me. I enjoyed it. I mean, certainly more than other books that I would put at a two, which is why it gets the 0.5. But it was fine. It was okay. How would you rate it? I rated it three. For me, three is is a book I enjoyed. It was good. It wasn't exceptional in any way. It was good. I liked it. No major complaints. So yay. That's good. So Erica, do you feel romanced? Initially, not at all. Like initially, I felt very turned off. Um, <laughs> so the the book wooed you. I think so. I think after we get into B-side Kennedy a little bit. <laughs> See, it's catching on. Yeah, I think because Riley's feeling it. So I start feeling it. I'm, I'm much happier when the hero and the heroine are on the same page with how they feel about each other, um, even if they haven't shared that with each other yet. There were some parts like that scene on the balcony where he tells her what happened with uh, Felicity and why they broke up. That whole scene between them was really tender and sweet. And then after that, I kind of, at that point, I wanted them to make it, you know? You can do it. What about you? Did you feel, did you feel romanced? No, but then again, I I didn't really feel connected with the characters. So yeah, that's the main thing. I think that's what gets you involved in the story and makes you root for them as a couple or feel anything. And I just didn't. What did you think about the proposal at the end? It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I must admit when they brought out the doll, I was kind of like, I died laughing. <laughs> See, that part at the end is what got me thinking that Soraya must be a character from another book or something because she's she's a major player in this story. She really is. I mean, maybe she is a carryover from another work. I don't know. She does instigate quite a bit because Riley is sort of the kind of character that needs a bit of pushing. Yeah, she needs that kick in the pants. And Kennedy at the end because he's like, no, no, I was going to do this anyway. But you kind of wonder if he was going to. I I was going to come and and tell you that I loved you. I promise. I think he would have. I think that I think that knowing how she felt made it easier for him. Yeah, it was less of a risk for him. Yeah, which is a little unsatisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Oh, in a way, because. I mean, you kind of want, you want that person to, to be willing to put it all out there for you, to be vulnerable with you. Yeah. By lessening his risk, it sort of takes away the the stakes in the story. A little bit. Yeah. There's no wondering, like, will she say yes? Will she take him back? We kind of already know the answer to that. So it's less tension. What else have you been reading? So I've been reading Secondhand Curses by Drew Hayes. It follows the adventuring of the Bastard Champions, a group of three adventurers named Jack, Marie, and Frank, as they right wrongs and 
get paid while they're trying to track down the blue fairy. And so each chapter in this book is a retelling of a classic fairy tale, such as the princess and the frog or hansel and gretel that's really fun i love fairy tale retellings oh perhaps you would like to check it out yeah i'm about halfway through hayes does a really good job of weaving all these stories together and making them feel part of his fantasy world that's cool yeah i'm i'm really enjoying it uh what else are you reading uh so i finished eight perfect murders by peter swanson Ooh, it's another thriller I like to round out my reading, you know, a romance here, a thriller there. Love and murder. <laughs> Love and murder. It's great. Malcolm, the character in this book, is a bookseller and a mystery aficionado who blogged a list years ago about eight of the most un- unsolvable murders from the mystery genre. Hmm. And years later, an FBI agent comes knocking on his door to get some insight about a series of unsolved murders that closely resemble the ones from his list. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it was a good book. I really liked it. <laughs> No, it sounds interesting. This is always like a great part of the podcast and also the worst part of the podcast because then I'm like, oh, I have more books to add to my list that I can never get to the bottom of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would encourage uh, listeners to send in uh, recommendations both for us to talk about on the podcast, but also just to read in general. I'm always looking for new stuff. Yes, well, you have the benefit of being much more of a fast reader than I am. So it helps you. (laughs) It's a blessing and a curse. Yes. (laughs) I'm envious if you can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss Broken Dove by Kristen Ashley. Bye. Bye.